From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents. Danny Flecker recapping the first round of the National Football League. Oh, what was that name that it, uh, it had way back in the day that Chris Berman always said? The National Football League selection uh, thing or something? <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, round one's in the books. It's April 30th, um, and here we are, the morning after. Um, And let's start here. I think the focus going in was about quarterbacks, and then we got a wrinkle, and that quarterback uh, was Aaron Rodgers, um, who apparently wants out of Green Bay, um, per multiple reports. Um, Where do you sit right now when it comes to where they lie and and where that situation is, where the Packers situation is. Um, John Lynch says that the 49ers did indeed make a call. The call response was, we're not trading this dude. Um, so they moved on and, and we'll get to who they picked in a second. But um, what's your read on the Rodgers situation? I saw that yesterday around, what, like 3.30, 4 o'clock when the news yeah. came out on it. Um, and then it just started to flurry with different anecdotes about what his situation was. You know, from Schefter to Glazer to Pelissario came out with a report about, like, you know, what is the team that he wants to go to. And I think, you know, the news itself was shocking, but the timing of it also was a hindrance because... Aaron Rodgers has no other options right now and has no leverage because of what happened last night. You know, we saw, I think the teams that were mentioned that he'd go to were what, San Francisco, Denver, and Las Vegas? Yeah. And now, you know, if you were Green Bay and you were looking to trade him or, or, you know, he wants to get out, where do you stand, you know, as a team that needs to get the most for Aaron Rodgers, if that's the direction you go in. If this goes out, they have no more draft capital. They took their guy. I mean, maybe the number three pick was floated out there as an option for them in that trade. Um, and, you know, to be honest, San Francisco, you know, did what they needed to do. So they're, they're out of the running, it looks like. Las Vegas, uh, unless they're looking to offer up, you know, future picks, uh, yeah, I don't see how they're an option. And Denver, same thing, it, it, unless it's a future pick that they're, they're willing to offer. I don't really know where Aaron Rodgers can go. Um, and not to mention he's going to be 37, 38 years old. So it, it's tough. I, I honestly want to know why he's so disgruntled. Um, tell, you know, we had a good year last year. You're on a good team. You have an option, you know, with, with how that team performs to, to continuously make the playoffs and, and compete for Super Bowls. So I'm, I'm confused as to where the disruption might come from, but, you know, he's a quirky dude. And I think he's just getting quirkier at, at the ages, to be honest. Is he trying to become the host of Jeopardy? And that was the thought that flew through my mind. I was just, I, I, you know, thought, like, he got a taste of what he potentially wants to do after football, and you know, maybe moving to those areas for the remainder of his career provides him that option, but there's also no guarantee that that's going to be something that they're going to come to him with, so I don't know what, what he's doing. Um, 
maybe he's just tired of playing in Green Bay. I, I don't know. It's just an odd, an odd situation that I think he's putting himself in. Because, um, you know, as soon as he gets to camp, you know, if he doesn't get traded, it's always, it's always going to be about him. And I think that that also wears on your team and on your coaches, you know, when the stories are always going to be about you and, and what's your situation, what's your contract going to be, you know, why are you happy playing here? So, it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in a normal person's world, you know, when you go to your bosses and you give your notice and then they try to scramble to find out how to counter, right? And then you accept that counter, but they, it's always in the back of your mind, you know, as a manager or a boss, is this person leaving? When are they going to leave? So I think that's kind of a situation that, you know, Green Bay's in right now. And now he goes off to the Kentucky Derby for the weekend, where one of the people covering it for NBC will be Mike Tirico, who he has a very good relationship with. I would have to think there's an interview request that's being made um, to him. And I'm sure somebody has this number they can get around the Packers. Um, and I wonder if he grants the interview. I, I really do. He did a bunch of interviews leading up to the Jeopardy hosting uh, stint. And I really wonder if he's going to do this. Because this is, to your point, everybody who was in line for a quarterback last night did nothing with him. Never really made a phone call to the Packers to try to you know, make that move, and they went in other directions. You look at what you would have to give up for Rodgers. It's probably three ones, maybe two ones in a second. Um, I, I mean, he's the reigning MVP. It's a huge haul for what you'd be giving up. So not only does he have no leverage, not only did everybody react differently last night, but now he's going to be on the public stage where he could potentially – give a nationally televised interview to a very large audience. It's it's one of the biggest, most watched sporting events all year, this side of football. So it a, becomes a really interesting weekend if he grants Mike Tirico that interview. Yeah, he's, he's just a weird dude, I think, at the end of the day, too. I mean, this, I, I really want to know, you know, as a fan why he feels the way he feels. I don't know if we'll ever really get that story uh, from either side, but I'd like to know where, why he's coming from where he's coming and why he wants to get out so bad. And you know what? It, it's a theme that's happening across the NFL lately. You see it in a lot of sports in general. Uh, you know, we had Russell Wilson dominate some headlines earlier this, this spring. But this situation... Uh, we saw Tom Brady last year with it, so it, this is a theme, um, and it just shows you that players are getting more powerful and they're becoming more empowered and have more have larger platforms to get what they want. And you know, I think it's now up to the teams to adjust to how they're going to manage their players moving forward to ensure that they're not caught in a corner and they have to give up everything just to satisfy you know one individual. So. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. As we um, look now to the teams that were actually making picks and not trying to trade for Aaron Rodgers last night, we knew one, two, and the 49ers did make that pick, and they made that pick for Trey Lance, North Dakota State, 
um, FCS, and they still say, and Kyle Shanahan still says, they are not trading Jimmy Garoppolo. And you look at the situation now with the Patriots, who some thought were trying to reacquire Jimmy G. They go get Mac Jones, and looks like they've got their quarterback situation figured out. So, A, your thoughts on the Trey Lance pick for the 49ers, and B, what do you think this means for Jimmy Garoppolo, whether in the context of the Rodgers news or just in general? Yeah, I, I, as far as the pick is concerned, I, I thought San Francisco trading up for, you know, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, or Justin Fields was a little aggressive. I don't know if I would have invested that capital to go and get them. We saw where Mac Jones ended up. We saw where Justin Fields ended up. Uh, I, I think Trey Lance has a lot of work to do. You know, there's the historical context on players coming out that don't have a lot of starts, you know, Zach Wilson's one of them, you know, even drafted at number two, something that wasn't really talked about with him, he had some injuries in, in college, he didn't play as many games as he should have, Trey Lance, you know, for no fault of his own, was unable to play this year, um, you know, it was a situation, not him, but I, I worry that he's not ready, and San Francisco really does have to make a decision on Jimmy G. One team I think that would be you know, calling them and figuring stuff out today, potentially with round two and three going off in, in New Orleans. We saw that that was a potential spot for him. I wouldn't rule out Carolina either as a potential spot for him, um, considering what they what they just did with Teddy Bridgewater, and, and, you know, they're not necessarily sold on Sam Darnold. So I think, you know, Jimmy G has to figure out, you know, what he wants to do this year. He has a no-trade clause. He might have to restructure his contract to stay in San Francisco. But I'm guessing if he does stay in San Francisco, he is probably the week one starter, but his leash is probably going to be really, really short. And I think he knows that, too. So it's going to be interesting to see if San Francisco pulls the trigger today and just says, let's go all in on Trey Lance. But on the other side, too, you have to take into consideration San Francisco has a good roster. They can win. And... Does Trey Lance give you that opportunity to really maximize your ceiling this year? I don't I don't think so. I think there's a lot for him to learn. So it is in their best interest to keep Jimmy G, but I don't know how, you know, as a coaching staff and as a team, you invest all those resources into picking a player. I don't really – and I guess you want to see what you have sooner rather than later. So I think that that's always going to be – be hanging over them, so it's going to be interesting to see if they want to keep Jimmy G and see if he can, you know, get them off to a hot start and ride them into the playoffs, or, you know, put Jimmy G out there if he gets hurt or they have a bad start, then you throw in the rookie, so we'll we'll see. I I, I don't know what San Francisco wants to do. Obviously, they kept things very tight to the vest uh, over the last several weeks, so it will be interesting. They certainly did. We're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Um... I want to go to my Jets for a second uh, because I thought they did something very interesting. You take Mekhi Becton last year, and then with the second first-round pick they had last night, um, sorry, the second first-round pick, they trade up from 23 to 14 to get Vera Tucker, the offensive uh, lineman who's going to probably play left guard in the NFL out of USC. I thought that was a smart move. You have to protect the guy you just drafted in Zach Wilson. Um, and I thought that that were, if you're gonna, 
if if the scheme fix fits Zach Wilson, which even if if you don't think he's the best quarterback available, it sure seems like it's it's a good scheme fit with Michael Floor um, and and Robert Sala. Uh, it would make sense to now protect him. Um, so while I would have gone a slightly different direction, which we'll get to momentarily, um, I I do like the fact that they chose to protect and bolster an offensive line that was vulnerable at times last year. And the Jets, the Jets had the capital to do what they needed to do. I thought it was a smart pick by them. They had two needs that they had to address in that first round. Um, they decided to go with off, they, needed a, they needed an offensive lineman or a cornerback. Um, there was a cornerback available for them at you know 14 if they wanted to take them. Um, but, you know, Solidifying that offensive line is important for them. They need, you can't have a Sam Darnold situation all over again. You can't throw a rookie quarterback in there that's going to be starting on day one and have him running from his life and, and you know stall his development. So uh, the pick was needed. He was the best offensive prospect, offensive line prospect left on the floor at that point. So um, the Jets had the opportunity and the flexibility to move up, and they did the right thing. I think, like you mentioned, they got to protect Jack Wilson, and it does solidify. Um, you know, their offensive line for the next couple of years. All right, now we get to the NFC East, which did a whole bunch of jostling last night um, and did not make you very happy. Um, so let's start with Dallas, uh, who flipped with Philly. Um, odd trading buddies, but seemed like both teams were happy with who they wound up with. Philly with Devontae Smith. Shout out to my boy Evan Anslow, congratulations, um, who's uh, one of his chief marketing people, and um, Micah Parsons for the Cowboys. However, it left the Giants in an odd position where they fell back to 20 and and and, and had to pick uh, Kadarius Tony from Florida, um, who may not have been their number one wideout choice. So where do you... As you sit here today, having had a chance to sleep on it, uh, what do you make of everything that happened in the NFC East last night? I thought the trade between Dallas and Philadelphia really made no sense at all. I mean, Dallas got a third-round pick for moving back their three spots, two spots. That is what it is. It's not. It's not much. But you trade within your division a team that is a rival. Uh, it, it, it just made no sense. So you allowed them to go up get Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith was probably, in my opinion, going to end up with the Giants if he was available there. And now you, you give him to Philadelphia. Maybe Dallas thought, hey, it's better for him to be in Philadelphia than in, in New York. I don't know. I, I just don't know how that, that trade made any sense. Because the guy that Dallas took, they could have taken it at number 10 anyway. Yeah. Maybe they wanted an extra pick? I don't know. But it was odd, very, very odd to see that happen. I I was watching the draft unfold. My thought process went immediately to if Devontae Smith's not there at number 11, the Giants are probably trading back because someone's going to want to move up to get field. And that is what ended up happening. So once the Giants lost the opportunity to draft Smith, if Micah Parsons wasn't their top-rated prospect at that point, they had to take an opportunity to field phone calls, and they did. And they wound up with a great trade. They get a future first-round pick next year, probably be within the top 15, 
their own pick next year, probably within the top 15, top 20. So they're trying to restock, you know, that roster, looking ahead a little bit into next year. But I, you know, in a draft, you very rarely, you know, as a fan, are happy with the pick until you see the players play. It would have been great as a Giants fan to see them end up with a player that I thought was probably one of the underappreciated prospects coming out and would have been a great piece to add to that offense. Uh, but, you know, at, at that point, I think the Giants thinking was like, listen, we have a bunch of prospects we feel that are rated very evenly. We have to take this phone call. If they want to give us a first-round pick next year, great, we'll take it. Thank you. We'll move back and we'll still get one of our guys that we want. So I, I think that's really what ended up happening. But, you know, it, it, you know, as a fan, it would have been nice to see, you know, Devontae Smith in New York. But, you know, they got somebody who I think can help complement that offense a bit with Tony. Um, he's not a traditional wide receiver, so it's always hard to evaluate potentially what his, his future projects out as. Um, but, you know, you and I were talking about it yesterday. This, this pick to me is all about Daniel Jones. There, there's no more excuses now. I know it's only year three, but they gave him, they've given him everything this offseason. If he does not perform next year, they gotta, they got to figure out if he's even that guy that's going to be starting in year four for them. Yeah, and, um, you know, you get back a healthy Saquon Barkley, one would think, and um, that's that. Uh, it seems yeah, pretty... I mean, it seems pretty clear cut that it's going to be him or it's going to be nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't sit here as a Giants fan and say that they haven't done what they needed to do to address that that offense. They have, you know, Galladay, who they invested a ton of resources into, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slade, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, and now Tony. You can't tell me that on every single play you drop, there should be somebody open or they shouldn't be able to. You know, figure out creative ways to get the ball to a guy like Cody or, you know, Barkley. So I'm not going to, you know, evaluate what Cody is until I see him on the field. But if I sit and watch a game and watch the Giants throw five-yard pitch routes, you know, that are, are going for three yards or, you know, stupid slants that are, are not going anywhere, I'm going to be pissed because you, you can't invest all this all these resources and not eventually develop your offense to to fit those resources. So it's on Jason Garrett and it's on you know, Daniel Jones now. They've got everything they need to be successful. I am with you 100%. Danny Flecker with us here on teeing it up. Um, in regards to Justin Fields going to Chicago, uh, big move for them, obviously. He stays in Big Ten country, which is probably you know good for him. Uh, we'll, we'll keep him comfortable. What I find interesting about this is they have a crowded quarterback room now. They have um, um, Andy Dalton. They have Nick Foles. They have Justin Fields. I wonder if a team like the Jets, for example, who need a veteran backup quarterback who has experience playing in the NFL, for which the Jets do not, unless I'm forgetting who's on the Jets roster, make a phone call to Chicago and it's like, uh, yeah, that, um, you know, one of those quarterbacks will happily take uh, this person to back up Wilson. Thank you very much. Um, where do you sit when it comes to what the Bears did and then what that means for Foles and for Dalton? Yeah, so for the Bears, to me, this, this trade is the GM 
and the coach trying to extend their extend their stay. They, they again, they knew that they had to make a move in order to save their job. They did that. They leveraged the future, you know, next year on it. And now you have a, a crowded quarterback room. I think you know you definitely have to keep Dalton with the money that you gave him. Big Bulls is probably the most likely option to get out of there at this point, you know, given everything. So, yeah, I mean, if the Jets want that type of situation, I don't see why the Bears would be against it. They might want to recoup maybe a fifth-round pick or sixth-round pick that they they don't have, uh, you know, some capital for that. But, uh, yeah, the Bears, to me, made that move with the sole intention of trying to save, you know, the GM and coach because now as the Bears, you know, franchises, like the, the ownership group, how do you evaluate the coaching staff next year if Justin Fields doesn't play? You know, you have to give him that opportunity. I think out of all the quarterbacks taken uh, yesterday, Fields probably finds himself in the most uh, negative situation because that coaching staff is on borrowed time. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, is he somebody that they're going to invest in early and, and allow him to to play and carry that, that team or, you know, will ownership deal with another year of potentially losing and not making the playoffs and then say, okay, year two, Justin Fields is a starter. From here on out, we're evaluating you guys based off of that. So it's going to be uh, a, a tricky situation for them to navigate, but that, that to me was my take away from what happened with that trade was that, you know, Brian Payson and Nagy are trying to save their job. So let's go and get a, let's go get a, a, a new quarterback that we can hitch our wagon to. Yeah, makes sense. And and by the way, yeah, the only two uh, quarterbacks on the Jets roster right now are James Morgan and Mike White, um, who were deep draft picks uh, and uh, have not really had much experience playing in the National Football League. Uh, uh, taking snaps under center. Actually, I'm not sure either is, has played a, a snap in the NFL. So the Jets do need a veteran backup for Zach Wilson. Um, were you surprised the the two cornerbacks, Horn and Sertan, went out, uh, uh, came off the board, sorry, as quickly as they did to um, Carolina and Denver? No, I thought that's where they were going to go. You know, I thought Sertan was the best cornerback uh, on on the board, um, but again, one of the things that I was you know talking with my buddies about when you know the draft is going on is a lot of times when you you watch these prospects, especially as a, as a normal fan, you tend to always lean towards the people that you watch. You know, I watch a ton of Alabama games because they're always on the showcase. I never really saw South Carolina play unless one I had some money on the game from a gambling perspective, or they were playing maybe a team that I was watching, like an Alabama or um, you know a Georgia game. So I, I don't know that much about DC Horn, but you know all the mocks that were coming out, all the evaluations people were putting out, were that those guys were top ten players, and I think that Denver got a great a, a great pick there. They needed. He needed to shore up that defense a little bit with the corner, and same thing with Carolina. So, um, but as we know, with corners in the NFL, it, it, there is a learning curve. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how how they adapt. I think their team's a little bit better of a position just because of Vic Fangio and his style and the way he develops defenses. 
Uh, so he's, he's in a better spot that way, but both of these players have the opportunity to be great corners in the NFL, so them going inside the top ten was not surprising. What was surprising was that when it fell to Denver and Carolina, I thought that, that the draft could shift again, you know, with opportunities for teams to trade up for a Matt Jones or a Justin Fields, and, and maybe the price was too rich at not eight and nine. But I thought that's where we might see some trades, or again, even see Carolina or Denver take Fields or Mac Jones, and they didn't do that either. So um, the way the draft shook out, you know, they were able to get, I guess, their players that were rated at the top of their board. Um, surprised that the Falcons stuck with Matt Ryan and chose Pitts versus drafting quarterback. No, no, they, you know, Kyle Pitts is a freak of nature. That Atlanta offense. Is is going to be scary, uh, to be honest. I mean, they do need to find out a way to keep Matt Ryan on his feet. They've had some issues at the offensive line the last couple of years, but you're throwing out Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts, and Calvin Ridley. Like, that's a scary offense. Matt Ryan was always going to be tough to move on from, I think, this year because of his contract situation. Um, Atlanta probably understands that they have, you know, a, a little window here perhaps to compete. But I, I was not surprised that they did not take a quarterback or even trade down. I think at that point, you know, they, they decided to do what they thought was best for their team in, in the time that they have Matt Ryan left. So they went with the offensive playmaker that's going to be able to potentially extend his career a bit. But Atlanta does have to figure out potentially maybe in round two or three if there's somebody there like a Kellen Bond or a Kyle Trask or David Mills that maybe they take to, to develop a bit and keep their success in him as they move forward. Uh, talking to, uh, uh, talking with Danny Flecky here on teeing it up. Uh, a couple more for you. Uh, how much stock do you put in reuniting Trevor Lawrence and Travis and uh, and and Travis and ATN in Jacksonville and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase at Cincinnati? How much do you put into into reunions like that when you judge potential success? Yeah, the Jamar Chase pick, I thought Cincinnati there might go with an offensive lineman. You know, Panay Sewell was available to them. And if I was Cincinnati, I think I would have maybe have leaned that way just because wide receiver is a deep position this year and Sewell is a, a, a 10-year starter at left tackle. Um, but I guess the opportunity to reunite Joe Burrow with the top wide receiver prospect was just too enticing for them. And I think, you know, when you talk about reunion, I think the one thing it does is it allows somebody to have that comfortability. Um, you know, you're working with players that you, you know, you understand, uh, that you have relationships with, you understand their work ethic, you understand how to communicate with them, um, and you can teach them and, and sort of take them under your wing a bit and like, let them know and understand what the NFL is going to be like. So I, I think with Jamar Chase, you have somebody you can trust, Joe Burrow. Um, you know you've had success with him, so you, I, I think that helps out. And then with Trevor, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, you have players that, that have played together for the past three years. They understand each other. Um, they're going to be experiencing a lot of the same things together. They're going to be able to learn from each other. So I think that's where that comes in uh, for, the, for this type of scenario for both of them. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it works. Um, 
you know, college is a lot different than the NFL. Uh, both of those teams aren't very good, and both of those, and all those players are used to winning. So we'll see how they handle, you know, the adversity that comes with the NFL. But if you're Joe Burrow, you have to be ecstatic. You have a, a number one wide receiver that you know and understand. And if you're Trevor Lawrence, you're going into a new situation with a comfortable face, and you will also again know how he plays and knows, knows what he can do. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those duos develop over the next couple of years. Um, before we get to rounds two and three, um, the European Super League, um, which became one of the great laughing stocks in, in sports league history um, a couple weeks ago when it tried to form a super soccer league uh, in Europe and uh, failed. How in the world do you miscalculate something like that? Money. That, that's really the only thing to me that stands out is that, you know, the Super League has been something that's been spoken about for a number of years. Um, and I think that it never really gained the traction that it wanted to because things were good. Money was flowing. Um, the, the economy was, was where it needs to be for those teams to thrive. And then COVID hit, and teams lost a ton of revenue, and fans, you know, stadiums were empty. So I think they saw an opportunity here to, to take a quick money grab, not really understanding the reaction that would be given. Um, maybe they thought that the fans would be happy that their teams would be playing top competition um, over and over and over again. They wouldn't be playing, you know, lower uh, league teams. Um, they wouldn't be subjecting themselves to, you know, games that didn't really matter at the end of the day, but the only thing to me that stands out to the miscalculation is when you are told you're going to be getting $400 million just by starting this league, how do you not do it? And I think three at the end of the day is what won out, and poor communication on other parts of the teams that were part of it, and at the end of the day, they embarrassed themselves royally, and... It was a disgrace, I thought, to the European soccer. Um, it was just so unnecessary and so pig-headed that the only, the only thing to say is, you know, free rules all, and at the end of the day, these people are only going to do what's best for them and not care about anybody else. Yeah. Unfortunately, but um, it does seem like greed did win the day, as you said indeed. Finally, Danny Flecka, what are you watching for in rounds two and three today? Yeah, so I think rounds two and three are, are going to be interesting. I think you'll see a lot more trade. Uh, I think there are a lot of good wide receivers still left up on the board that teams might look to go after. Uh, you know, the, the top of the, the second round still holds a lot of value for these players and teams. So I think. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, wide receivers have an early run here because uh, they're still on the board. And then on top of that, there are some teams that might be looking to grab some quarterbacks, um, you know, like Washington, Carolina, uh, Denver even potentially could be looking at it, New Orleans. So we'll see how that shakes out. But I think there's some good players still up on the board, see how it, how it works out. And then, you know, these teams will go from there. But... I, I think we'll see a little bit more moving today because um, you know some capital that some of these teams still have in the early round might allow them to move up into the second round and grab some additional players. So 
I think trades might be might be a little more abundant today. We shall see. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. Uh, no problem, man. Have a good day. Same to you, and enjoy your day out there, everybody.